Hello, podcast land. <laughs> I'm Ryan. Somebody. I'm Nathan. And uh, today we're also being joined by our friends, Alex and Mark. So say hello, Alex and Mark. This is Alex. Hello. And Mark is frozen. Mark is frozen. All right. We're uh, geezers of the game, or at least Ryan is the geezer of the game anyways. The rest of us are. You're still, older uh, than me, like nearly a year. It's a lot. All right. So today we're going to be talking about uh, world building and specifically when you're uh, building and designing a new world, how to uh, decide what that tone is going to be and uh, what you can do to really kind of cement or set that tone in for the player. So that's the subject for today. So let's go ahead and jump in. Okay. So last week we spoke to Austin Janowski. He talked about the various, uh, actually, I think you did, Nathan, about the various publishing niches, you know, suspense, thriller, or whatnot. So each of those have their own tone. So when we're talking about setting a tone in a role-playing game, you know, obviously there are going to be certain tools that you use. The first thing that comes to my mind is music. Um, and that's one of the things I'm working, been working on quite a bit is trying to find suitable music for the cyberpunk feel. Nathan, do you Right, have- yeah, that's, that's a thing that um, when role-playing in person, Personally, I enjoy having some music like a Star Wars soundtrack or something like that, Just, but other people don't. And so that's kind of a hard balance. And then also these days we are uh, largely playing on um, over the Internet on Zoom uh, because we live so far away from each other. And uh, so there might be some technical challenges with the music there. Um, so. But the technical challenges, we'll sort that out later. So let's talk about who likes music, who doesn't, and why. In a classic round robin thingy. Ryan, what are your thoughts on music? I think music, if it's too loud, can be very uh, distracting. Um, And sometimes scenes don't match up to the feel of the music, especially if you just put a soundtrack on. Um, So that's kind of a touchy balance. If you're going for a certain feel in a scene, you know, like something more emotional, something uh, more action-based or whatever, you want music that really hits that. So that can be a big pitfall. Right. Uh, Alex, any thoughts? I got several thoughts, actually. Um, The initial thought I had is that it's better to have uh, just kind of background ambiance that doesn't get overly bombastic and exciting. You know, you kind of want just musical wallpaper like 1990s Star Trek. Right. Where it just it gives you it gives you uh, just ambiance, I guess, would be the the best word. And there is actually on YouTube. Just look it up on YouTube and you'll find dozens and dozens and dozens of like three or four hour uh, videos. That's just nothing but like gaming ambiance. That's like for a tavern or for exploring the wilds or for creepy underdark music or that sort of thing. And then that can give you a. just something to play in the background that that won't get in the way. Um, there was actually a Kickstarter for uh, one of the Savage Worlds products, the last Parsec, which actually included in their Kickstarter um, uh, uh, audio files of of ambiance music to play in the background. So that's kind of a cool thing. There's a current project coming up that Runehammer is doing uh, called Viking Death Squad, where he's making his own music too for that that thing. So it's something that some producers are are already giving attention to. And then I had a little bit of a uh, anecdote about that uh, from a game that we played many, many years ago uh, at Nathan's old house by the river, where we had uh, 
it was a Star Wars style game. And we were having in the background the the Empire, or rather the Return of the Jedi soundtrack playing. Right. And the scene was becoming, it became a role-playing scene where we were doing some kind of intense negotiation or something like that. And then uh, the just by chance, the music uh, happened to go to the part of the soundtrack where it's the, the throne room duel where where uh, Luke and Vader are fighting each other and, uh, and Palpatine's in the background. And that, that deep, like, choral kind of rising music fit the scene so perfectly. Like, we could never have planned that. And it was just, right. it was magical. And that's the sort of moment that's just going to stick to my life, my brain to the rest of my life. You know, this scene that we played 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I actually, I remember that one, too, and it worked really well. So we lost Mark. Uh, he's having some faulty internet connections, but hopefully he'll be back. And so uh, when he comes back, we'll and then back. Um, so the uh, thing that I've thought about off and on from time to time is um, obviously you've got your game master and he's pretty busy with the story. So if you had a second guy who was almost kind of a DJ. Mark, you had something? It works. We know it works because they're using it in movies. And you see when a scene is set right to the music, it works really well. The experience that I've had in role-playing games is that it's either sitting in the background and doing nothing or you notice the music when you realize that it's adding a lot to the drama of the scene. So I don't think it hurts. I think it adds. Now there's a caveat to that. If you're playing something like Billy Joel, or you're playing something like American country music, something like that, the language and the words and everything are going to get in the way. It's a distraction. It's like allowing someone to play guitar when you're trying to role play. They're off goofing around in music land. They're not paying attention and you will lose them, you'll lose the scene. It breaks the reality of it. So I recommend music as ambiance, Alex pointed that out, but I recommend it as ambiance, not as the theme to what's going on. It cannot override the game. So yeah, it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is music with words or lyrics, at least in English or whatever your primary language is is maybe generally a bad idea. And I, I agree with that. I A lot of times I go with the, the soundtracks that are from um, epic movies. And so you end up having a lot of symphonic or um, orchestral music, things along those lines. Um, Alex, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, apart from role-playing, you know, as, a, as, an, as an amateur writer, <clears throat> whenever I'm sitting at my computer trying to work on a novel or something, I usually do have playing in the background just like you're saying, you know, the, the classical music from movie scores for the most part. Right. Um, but I always, but I have my playlist edited out to where there's no English lyrics because it's just distracting while I'm trying to think of, uh, of uh, what I'm trying to write and also in gaming, what I'm trying to do on the, at the table. So, yeah, I've, I've had a, uh, I used to be part of a uh, writing workshop and I also need to have music when I'm writing it's just part of it. And other people in the writing group often not, but they have these special things called headphones. And so those work great for that, but obviously for role playing, that's not the ideal solution. I think uh, like movies like uh, Shawshank Redemption, where they have the scene where it's got this uh, Italian music, uh, choral music, not choral, but Italian ladies singing, super powerful song. And that kind of music, when at the right scene, like you were talking about, Alex, can be so powerful. At the wrong scene, it's just there, or at worst, distracting. 
Well, and, and a lot of that orchestral or almost operatic music, if you listen to it in French or Italian or any language that you don't speak, it it sounds uh, wonderful and beautiful and like there's all sorts of depth to whatever's going on. And then when you look at the translations, like if you've ever been to an opera, it's like, this is dumb. And if you ever hear any operas that are actually written in English, it kind of ruins it. <laughs> For me, at least. It's better if you don't understand what's being said, because what's being said is never going to match up with your imagination. <laughs> Quite I would say that's often a matter of taste and, <laughs> and, uh, and easily disputable by opera fans all around the world. <laughs> no, no, no. I would go so far as to say it's pretty much an absolute fact. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do my own rendition of of an opera for you. Ready? Please don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to pull your finger. <laughs> what? No, I'm I'm not 14 anymore. So music yeah, is definitely fun. a powerful. Um, the next thing I was thinking about is pictures. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, if you are a skilled artist, obviously um, drawing your own pictures is an option, but they've got this new thing called the internet and you can find a lot of stuff that will set the scene, whether it be a, you know, a landscape style picture of a city or a forest or a castle or whatever. And basically throw that up there. Um, you know, if you want it to, to be bright and cheery or you need it to be the castle anthrax or whatever you want to go with, there are options out there. We could also use our artist friends that know how to draw right better than uh, me. And, and yeah, and there, there are a, a lot of just fantastic websites. Uh, when it's kind of a funny thing when role playing with my youngest ones, uh, my my middle child, Kytron, he's six, um, and he always wants to be the also game been a guest, guest on the show. He has been a guest and he will be again soon. I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure. But anyway, he always wants to game master. And so he's like, okay, um, I need you to look up a castle in the forest. And so I can type just castle in the forest and then he'll pick a picture. And like, that's the one you're at. And then he'll be like, I need a picture of Batman wearing gold armor, riding a giant red scorpion. And like, I don't, it's not a magic box. It doesn't put whatever. And then you type it in and you're like, well, this is pretty close. <laughs> Um, it turned there, there is, in fact, I can't remember, is either Batman riding an ostrich or Batman riding a velociraptor? It's one of those two. I'm like, there's no way that's an oh, wait, there it is. <laughs> I like the idea of him riding a, an ostrich, I think that's, that's so, way so better. And, and large to a large degree, as long as you don't get too specific, you can usually find a picture of what you're looking for. It might not be exactly what you had in mind, but um, it's close enough for a six year old. So to go back to the ostrich, would it be bastridge? <laughs> what? <laughs> bastridge. It's a bat ostrich. Bastridge. A bastridge? <laughs> it sounds weird. Yeah. Bastridge. <laughs> All right. Today's well, show is brought to you by Bastridge. <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> okay. What other than pictures? Um, so an, another uh, one that you could go with is um, costumes, whether it be full costume or you just say, you know what, today we're playing uh, our, our gritty game. So I'm going to go dig through my laundry and find my, my black hoodie. Um, I mean, just sometimes just the smallest little details 
even if nobody else notices, they can make a difference for you and kind of that that internal monologue of what your character is thinking and doing. And that does, that ends up coming through. So we had an example of that in a game that we played not very long ago. Um, Nathan was the game master in a particular game. As he was playing, he had a need for one of the players to play an NPC. Okay, now he called on me to do that. Now at the time I happened to be wearing a hoodie and I had a bandana tied around my hair. So I flipped the bandana around, I took a dice bag, hung it around my neck, turned a couple of things just a little bit, and it created a character that was completely different. So you throw in a small modification, whether you're on video conference or you're with people right in front of you, you make a small modification and you can come up with a very different character quickly. It's used by a lot of comedy artists, but it works in a role-playing scenario. It helps people to get their mind wrapped around who is this strange person that has just come into the room. It's obviously a different person from whom I was speaking to before. And it gives them a prop to act off of. Really, that's what all the players are for each other, to some extent at least, is a prop as you're playing out that role. You're a prop for the rest of the group that you're gaming with in order to be able to interact with them. So Now, I do have one thing to say as a caution against that. Um, with using... Um, props in that way they can be distracting from the scene too it has to add so like when you write uh, when you're writing a scene you may think it's the greatest scene ever until you read everything through and then what do you see this scene doesn't make any sense to the rest of the story it doesn't need to be there and you have to cut it or a character has to well there, yeah there, there there's a old uh writing phrase about i think it's killing your darlings or killing your babies yeah. A lot of times when you have, whether it be a scene or a character or something that you have such a strong emotional attachment to, it will oftentimes turn out to be the worst part of the story or it doesn't fit with the rest of the tone or something like that. So um, it's just kind of a, a cautionary note. If you become too emotionally attached to something, it's potentially going to make the rest of the story suffer. But even that taking, um, taking something too quirky can to pull you out it, um, it can it's it can it, also add there's a balance and where that yeah where that line is is going to vary depending on the game depending on the players depending on the the tone the characters that yeah there, there's too many variables to say it belongs here like if if you're saying that like like if you have a quickly improvised costume that it might end up it, the risk you run is it's just too silly and it's just yeah. going to make it's just going to make people laugh and take him out of the moment especially yes. if it is uh like a more serious toned uh, story you're going through. Yeah. So exactly. the lampshade on the head as a stand in for the crown, when you're talking to the King and the, uh, at the climactic end scene might not be what you're looking for. It depends on the tone. So I have, I have a handkerchief right now. If I'm wearing, if I'm playing a character that's a biker and you take the handkerchief during the time you're playing that character and it goes around your head, it sets a certain image. Or you playing an old person, you use said handkerchief to work your nose or whatever. It gives you something that you can work with to add to the scene. It's not a huge distraction, but it does delineate a character because you're accessing the history of how that's been used previously, literally in history or previously in cinema. It's, it's a way of accessing existing information to put that into the scene with very little effort and very little change. So it doesn't have to be a huge change is my point. Well, absolutely. No, that's, that's it probably shouldn't point. be. Although never say handkerchief again. 
Alex? It is my hand chief. A handkerchief, if you will. Yes. Uh, well, that particular item is is very versatile, and it, and it's something that does get a lot of use in real life and in real life history. And so it it's it doesn't seem silly being used as you know something wrapped around a biker's head or something somebody's dabbing their nose with because that's what it is, you know. Um, but but I can see that if you're if you're if you're doing something. Like you're trying to make a Mad Max style, you know, Australian wasteland, you know, dystopian future kind of armor. And it's just made out of like dryer hoses and crap. I mean, it's going to it's going to be more distracting potentially. But then on the other hand, I, I don't mean, know about that. I think it's that it might work. The, on the other hand, uh, you know, we're playing role playing games to have fun. Right. I mean, if it's going to be if we're trying to build this like doggedly serious you know grim dark tone that's just going to make everybody sad and what's the point why are we doing that you know we're we're always going to be uh when we're having a game we're having fun we're going to be joking around and and being not serious um inevitably you know and and why fight that because that's what we're here for break out the dryer but at the same time having that um super intense uh, really down scene can be super rewarding when you let it play out, when you role play to it, when you allow whatever happens to happen. Oftentimes though, we do our jokes and pull everybody out, but that's what I was just saying. Props can pull you out just as easy as they could take you in. So a lot of times I think the reason we may not, think it through and do it on purpose but the reason why we break out of those scenes and do the silly things is because we un- become uncomfortable yes. um because uh we're all children of the late 80s or i guess late 70s but we we came up in the late 80s or 90s and so we're not comfortable with emotions that aren't uh, anger um and so it's uh anytime you get into a scene that's too too emotional you have to break out of that by by making a joke or doing something and um you know that's that's okay but at the same time if we fight against it we can get more rewarding scenes out of them i think which i'm really going to be pushing for in my campaign Um, give give, i would say give give rewards i'm Uh, going to yeah i'm going to reward people for staying in the moment yeah, reward them on the spot. I mean, not right on the spot, because that would also break the scene. No, but after it's over. Yeah. Before going into the next one. Mark? Yeah, I, I want to rebut that one. Um, yeah, late 70s, early 80s, whatever the case may be, the, I think that the best times that I've had in gaming, the ones that were the most memorable for me, were when we got so caught up in the scene that at the end of it, everybody was just kind of looking at it going, wow, you know, that that just happened. That was so real. It, and it drew us in. In one of your previous podcasts, you talked about the different types of role players. And uh, one of them there was the actor, you know, and another one was that storyteller. Somebody's wanting to see a really fantastic story or wanting to get into character. My most rewarding times have been when I've been so caught up in the scene, in the dialogue, in the character. Yeah, it had absolutely nothing to do with what the dice roll was. There were two characters, a player and an NPC, that were having a conversation with each other. And because of the, because of the history that had been built up in that gaming world, 
it became a very real scene. It, it brought up real emotions. Now, those ones were the really cool games. Those are the ones I was really proud of and that I look back on and actually remember. Um, some of the other ones that come out are when we broke out of character or when the scene got out of hand. I remember Alex at one point breaking out in some kind of a Wakachuka uh, blast of disco music in the middle of a game. And I don't remember how it happened. I don't remember why it happened, but it did happen. And it was one of the stinking funniest things I've ever seen. They ended up with like a dance off scene in the middle of what should have been some kind of, I don't know, a bar fight or something like that. But it had a Guardians of the Galaxy quality to the moment. And uh, I think that if you can achieve those things, it's a fantastic thing. The the concept of role playing is interpreted in different ways. Some people think it's the role of the dice. They're very rule oriented people. Some people think that role playing is you're playing out the role of a character. And some people drop role straight off of it and say, look, I'm just playing. You know, this is for fun and that's why I'm doing it. And I think that that last point really is the bottom line. If you're uncomfortable because of the emotions, don't do that. This is supposed to be fun. If the emotions are making the scene and they're making it memorable, go for it. Dig in and try and try and find that again. Find out what components made that work. So, yeah, as, as far as if the emotions make you uncomfortable, there's two different ways to interpret that. So, um if they're making you uncomfortable, like it's making you feel legitimately icky because that's either different. a player at the table or a game master or somebody is crossing a line that, that is really not appropriate. Yeah. Don't do that. If it's making you uncomfortable because you're pushing yourself a little bit because we're really not trained actors, um, that might be okay. That might be a good thing. So just because it automatically doesn't fall into your comfort zone doesn't mean don't do it. Sometimes it's good to stretch a little bit. Sometimes it's not. There's, you know, there's a lot of context there to that. It also demands a measure of maturity, I think, you know, yeah. from players, because uh, I, I'm being reminded now through this conversation of a moment of a particular episode. Uh, this was in the 20th century. I think that we were young. This was a long time ago. And, uh, <laughs> Can we just stop for a second and point out that you mentioned another century? Hey, that's how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. It's back in the nineties and there, and I don't even remember what the scene was or what the moment was, but there was uh, a, a moment between Nathan and I, where I said something, one character to another in character and had, had no intention of it being Alex to Nathan. It was character to character and it was not taken that way. And it caused a big problem for, well, I, he came he came and talked to me afterwards, you know, in a, in a private setting saying, hey, listen. <laughs> right. And so, and anyway, I mean, we resolved it, but, but, the, but the point is, is that in the moment you have to, you have to be aware of who you're talking to and, and everyone has to keep the context in mind. Right, and, and that's a thing I've, I've no, um, been reading through a lot of rule books lately, just, essentially as research for, for this project. Um, and that's a thing that a lot of the rule books will at least have a paragraph or two on that the tension between characters is great, but make sure it doesn't turn into tension between players. So, I, I mean, Alex it. and I aren't the only ones even here in this group that have ever done that. I think every one of us has probably kind of taken something the wrong way or, um, and unfortunately sometimes things that happen outside of the table end up coming into the table and sometimes when you're in your 20s, suddenly you 
get a rush of testosterone or cortisol or whatever because you're, you're a ball guy. of raging muscle. Yes. Um, and now I'm just a ball of fat without the <laughs> the muscle or the hormones anymore, really. Yes. <laughs> Not better, but it is what it is. Um, but, you know, obviously those things, no matter how mature you are, that's still a, a hazard to be to be aware of and make sure. And um, you can make it clear by saying what you say and then and then smile at the character or, you know, somehow make sure that the other player that, you know, you understand that this is this is between us because um, yeah, I, I think I remember the the time you were talking about back in the nineties, but then um, a similar thing. Well, it could have been any number of times, but a similar thing happened in, in the, the stars without numbers game. We ran some time ago where, um, you know, unfortunately I'd had a, a rough go of it at work and then came home and, and we played and I was still a little bit amped up and um, got into it with one of the NPCs, although it wasn't personal. And I don't think it was taken personal either way. And I think it was a fantastic scene um, because it did have that emotion and, um, and there was that conflict, but because we were more mature, we know each other better. We were able to make it clear to each other. And I think at some point we even said, you know, Hey, this is, I don't, real. I'm not directing this to you. This is my character. This isn't me. You know, is, is this cool? Are we, you know, we're not. And, and it's, it's okay to, to step out. It's okay to break the story, to make sure that you're not um, offending your friend, because ultimately the, uh, the, the real treasure we found was the friends we made along the way, or perhaps it was the treasure we dug up. I'm not sure. Which. There, it's important as a gaming group to remember that these are characters. They are not us right now there are social boundaries that everybody has and every gaming group is going to be a little bit different on what areas those social boundaries are going to encompass but when you're in game time you're playing out a character who is not you unless you have a very weird life so the the hope is is that this is someone not you who does not have your morality who does not have your upbringing and that this is a unique individual, probably in a completely different setting than you live in, you can assume. And so when this person behaves in the way that they do, it can be difficult for the group to understand why they're doing that. But that's also, there's a responsibility connected to that in the gaming group during that world building process. Because during the world building process, you're going to set the bar for what characters are allowed and what aren't. Uh, as an example, right now, Ryan is building a world for us to game in. And in that, he said, okay, here are the character archetypes that you are allowed to play. And then your job is to select one of those archetypes. And I have details that I will add to those archetypes to introduce you into this gaming world. In the meanwhile, don't discuss your histories with people. Don't come up with a whole lot of elaborate stuff outside of it. This is what, this is how this world works. So he set the bar for us so that we would know what areas we can go into and what areas we can't. By doing that, we're now playing a character that already has the limits built in. If you're building a more uh, open forum kind of a game where people are, are building their characters, coming up with their backstories, choosing their equipment, whatever the case may be, and that forum is open enough that they have a lot of freedom, you have to find ways as the world builder, as the, the game master, or as a group, as you build the world together, 
to be able to rein some of that in so that you can set the boundaries that aren't going to offend them, the players themselves. I agree completely that, yeah, you, you are playing a character that is separate from you. Of course, sometimes our characters are to a greater or lesser degree an idealized version of ourselves. And so it's kind of us, no matter how good of an actor we are, a little bit of us is going to be in there. And most every job that I've ever worked, you'll have people that say stupid things like, you know what, leave your home life at home. And ideally you can do that, but good luck. That's not the way the world really works. Nor can you leave your work life at work. I mean, you're, you're one person and you can kind of try to compartmentalize a little bit, but there's always going to be some bleed through. If you're having a bad day in your home life or your work life, that's going to, to some extent, come to the table. Um, and you know what? If you know that that's what's going on, be upfront with your buddies about it. Say, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm kind of stressed out. So hopefully that won't come through, but you know, let's try to have some fun. And, and if I get a little bit too far into left field, sorry, um, you know, just communicate with each other. And if a scene seems to be going sideways, instead of letting it fester, yeah, stop, figure out what's going on, write the boat and get back to it. I mean, if people are making a movie, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people there working together. How many takes of each scene do they make? Um, you know, dozens of them at least. If you're writing a novel, um, almost nobody writes a novel in one setting and never goes back and revises. If they do, nobody's going to buy it um, and nobody's going to want to read it. I beg to differ. My novel is amazing. Well, okay. Ryan might be the one exception in the entire world. I've read your novel, Ryan. I'll have to send you my notes. <laughs> I have it, by the way. But that's a thing that largely is lacking in role playing and in, in real life is that ability to revise. Although in real life, I think we revise by just telling ourselves that what happened was different and that we were actually the good guy and whatever happened because we're all really good at lying to ourselves. Or and having in a filter. Playing, yeah, and in role playing as the game master, and sometimes even as the player, you can kind of retcon that. You can be like, yeah, okay, so the dice came out this way and this is the way the scene went, but that doesn't make any sense, so I'm just going to tweak it slightly. And that's depending on how you do it on the game and your group and so on. That might be okay, um, or it might not. You might just want to do it exactly as it came out. It, it'll get kind of weird, but... <laughs> But you can do it that way. But it is, it, it's both a, um, a strength and a weakness to the hobby is there isn't a lot of room for revision. This is how it happened. One of the podcasts I'm listening to right now, they're role-playing. And uh, <clears throat> they are heavily using what they call a destiny dice. Mm -hmm. to, you know, it's a fairly common. Yeah, a lot of games. Yeah. But they use it too much, in my opinion they allow that to interfere with the way a scene is going. Right. Uh, sometimes it's super awesome. If you roll it and it's like, Oh, it's a really low roll. Guess what? You were going to get all this, but now you get this. And this is why not just because the dice that gives me an opportunity as a storyteller or a player to add to the story. But, but I don't think randomness is always the best for keeping a tone. Um, that's where as a game master, as players, you need to work together to keep the tone, a certain feel. I think, I think there is a balance there to be struck, you know, cause on, on the one hand, 
Um, you can make a game that's entirely based on random tables and wandering monsters and things of that nature. Yep. And that can be very entertaining. And if that's the game that y'all want to play, then that's great. Um, but then there's the other the other extreme where it's like pure narrative, where everything is just based on Game Master Fiat and player input, which also can be fun. I mean, if that's the game you want to play. Um, personally, I like to use dice as uh, as uh, as a jumping off point, you know, as like as like the suggestions for the improv show. Right. You know, where, where I'm I'm having to use the random rules to uh, to come up with the story and, and to, to send me in particular directions for the story I'm making up as I go. You know, and I think, you know, a lot of ways you can do like I forget what game it was, but there was like a specific example I can think of from a rule book where it says something like if you have your really experienced pirate character swing from a, a rope tied to a yard arm and he just totally flubs his role and misses well don't just say well you're a super experienced guy just flubbed his role and missed you know come up with a story for why that happened say like the yard arm you know broke because it had previously taken a cannon shot and you didn't notice you know and then you ended up face planting on the deck because of that reason not because you're suddenly incompetent that's an excellent point that um a lot of the YouTube guys that talk about role playing have discussed recently. It, yeah, if you if you have a, a pretty high level competent character, and he gets a bad role, um, the game master can undermine that character by being like, "Yeah, you you drop your sword and then you slipped and then you fell face first in the mud, and then uh, a rabbit jumped up and bit on you because you rolled a one, and so you know everything that could possibly go wrong did, and you suck." And it's like, well that's not really the kind of character I'm playing, nor did it seem to be the tone of the story. It doesn't matter. You rolled a one. There's no rabbits on this planet. I know it's weird, but um, they're very vicious, but you can, uh, you know, the game master can still have you fail. Like I think Alex gave a, a fine example of that. Instead of the guy just missing, you know, the rope or the yard arm broke. Um, things can go wrong and do go wrong all the time, even if you're uh, very skilled at a particular task. Things can go sideways pretty fast. But a lot of times that's outside circumstances that you weren't aware of. But as a game master and as a player, you know, try to keep in mind, you know, is the character actually supposed to be good at this? You know, if it's a super strong character kicking down a door and he rolls a one, he probably didn't break his foot on the door. Well, <laughs> and also there are things where why are you why are you making the character roll for that? Mm-hmm. I mean <laughs> if they are skilled at something and you're making them roll for something that uh, anybody could probably do, then that's pretty petty and that just slows the game down. But I think that dice rolls, like Alex said, primarily should be outside of combat should be for, um, for story prompting to help uh, give a, uh, a suggestion to help you, to, to hone a story, to make it more interesting. Um, and secondarily, I think that it gives characters the ability to feel fairness, that they have the opportunity to do something based on their ability. Yeah, so I'd, I'd agree with you 100% on that. So uh, as a, an example of that, and this I think is connected to world building because it talks about the feel of the world that you produce as a game master when you're interacting with the players. So let's say that I'm playing a role-playing game and my I'm game mastering 
and I've got uh, Ryan as my player. Okay. So as we're going through, he says, okay, um, I, you know, I'm going to need to overcome this obstacle. What are the chances that since I just ran through that locker room back there, there was a spool of rope over in the locker room. And I could think to myself, well, you know, I, I didn't put that in the scene, but I'm doing a shared narrative style game here. And so in this case, I'm going to recommend that he make a roll. You know, he says there's a rope. Okay, make a roll for it. I'm going to make it a really simple roll, something like a one to six. Six is you got exactly the rope you need. It happens to come with a grappling hook and a launcher. Great for you. On a one, there was a shoelace in a locker. Or, right? or maybe that giant rope that they make you climb in gym class. Yeah, right. Because when you said that it was one, a locker room. That might constitute a two or a three, right? Because <laughs> so, it's based on what it is that they're trying to accomplish on how successful that role is. So you do end up with a role that's a randomizer. And it is a story prompt. But what it does is it provides a forum where you're not just handing something to the player, but you're also not just refusing something from the player. It right. gives them the opportunity to dig deep and say, okay, I'm in a situation I can't handle. Point for point, this isn't going to work out. I don't know how to proceed from here. But if I ask the game master for something, I know he's going to work with me. It builds that trust between game master and player that's critical to making a game succeed. As another side to... Uh to that of having, you know, of that technique you just mentioned where you, you roll the die, you, you like you just said, I remember uh, we were playing a game, Nathan and I were, um, where he was the GM and he was generating it basically like that, where everything was just roll, just rolling the dice as, as he went. And, uh, boy, he kept rolling low, I think, cause the situation got more and more and more and more dire Speaking of tone, it was a tone that neither of us were really going for, and it just kind of happened. <laughs> and both afterwards, I think we were both like, yeah, we shouldn't do that again. Because <laughs> it wasn't really what we were trying to do. <laughs> I, I remember that game because afterwards, you're like, you're, yeah, you were great. <laughs> I mean, it was a great game. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Mark, you had a, a thought. Yeah, there is a limit between that separation between player and character. And I think that's an excellent description right there. You know, you reached a point at which the player was going, you know what, I, I'm not okay with playing this character. Right. You know, and if you're hitting that point, the real, the real trick is to remember this is a game. Yeah, there's a rule book, but it's just words on a page. Let's pull this thing back, retract and say, okay, this isn't, neither one of us are enjoying what's happening here. I know I said I was going to use a randomizer dice, but it gave me the wrong number and I'm the GM. Yeah. So I'm going to change what it's doing. I got a two. I wanted a five or a six. Okay, awesome. In that case, I'm going to flip the dice. I'm going to say that two is a five. We're good to go, right? Well, Just be willing to be flexible. The rules are there for a reason. But if that reason is causing the game to not be a fun game, then that is a game that you don't want to play. Well, and, and it's a fine segue back into our subject, which is tone. And in that case, um, the... So the the basic setup of the game was that it was kind of a medieval fantasy noir game. So he, he I, I, as I recall, I can I now see where it went dark. It didn't go dark necessarily where you would think it would. I mean, it had been kind of dark up until that point. He hadn't even um, got out of the bathroom yet. <laughs> <laughs> and it was dark. No, it was, I mean, any kind of noir is dark. I mean, yeah. noir is French for black, and that's as right. dark as a color gets. So, I mean, it's it's appropriate to be dark. But it's just, you know, when you have a, it, it became a situation where uh, 
like the only real solution was to go around and slit everyone's throats <laughs> as they were sleeping as they were sleeping before before well i don't know it's a whole scenario i don't want to tell, waste the whole time with the whole yeah, story. It, it, yeah it, it was just a thing but it was the right thing to do and he did it but then he felt like a bad person after it which is a nice segue into players and tone and you know the gm might want have an idea that he's going to place some super ultra dark game and maybe some of your players aren't quite game for that. And so you have to have that conversation and how dark are they willing to go? And the answer to that might be different depending on where they are in their lives or, you know, what day of the week it is. And it also matters whether or not the players know what the, what it is that you're attempting to accomplish. Uh, what I mean by that is a while back, um, this was quite a while back actually, uh, Nathan invited me to play a game set in a Firefly style of universe. I'd never watched the show. That's I didn't a, know that's what that's a was. common theme for Space you. Cowboys and I went Star Wars. So I was playing a Star Wars character. He was playing a Firefly game. I didn't understand the concept of the game. And so it was, it was a, a severe handicap on my part. Now, uh, I learned from that lesson. And now when somebody says, hey, let's play a game in, for instance, cyberpunk. I didn't know what cyberpunk was a week ago. So I requested additional information. I was given some little videos to give me kind of a rough disclaimer. But then as, an, as a player in that game, I have a responsibility. Because my responsibility becomes I need to first off inform the GM that I don't know what's going on. Like I'm, I'm relatively unfamiliar with this. And then I need to be willing as a player to place myself into an auxiliary position and watch and learn from the other players that are involved in the game. Now, if you're the only player, you can't do that, in which case you really ought to pick a different theme. But if you're in a group of people where there are more than one player for the game master, then in a situation like that, you're, you will be able to do what it is my intention to do, which is to drop back into an auxiliary position, observe the universe as the other players are interacting in it. Don't fail to interact in it, but don't become the driving force of that game when you don't know where you're driving. So sometimes the players will have a very significant influence on whether or not the game succeeds, no matter how hard a game master might work at developing that world. And that's because they don't understand the context of the setting. Okay, so I've got two things to say. The first thing is, Alex, you said something smart, so I'm going to say juxtapose is both Latin for juxta and French for poser. Anyways, um, the second thing is more Check important me. than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I will not be undone. <laughs> That's my French. Anyways, for all my French listeners. Um, so in this current game, so I'm actually st staggered starting this campaign. Um, you guys will not start at the exact same time. You come into the story at a different point. So you only have, that's part of the reason why you guys are not talking about what you have because other characters don't know yet. They will get this is part of it. They'll get because of the story puts them in that. And part of it they'll get because you will either give them or they won't get it. And it they doesn't won't. matter. Yeah. That's probably true too. And that's okay because it affects the way you'll play the character. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that they won't. They never do. Well, we're all adults now, sure. and I think that that will help. And just the conversations I've had without you, Nathan, have been wait, really good. Wait. <laughs> wait. 
in general, not in, in general. regard to this channel, not just, just role playing. Just it was my impression that when I wasn't around, you didn't exist. <laughs> no, it's you that doesn't exist when I'm not around. I beg to differ. I've seen both of you guys outside of the presence of the other one, and I know that at least on those occasions, you both exist. <laughs> Wait, maybe it's I'm not the us one that, that exists at all. Yeah, it's him. <laughs> You're the one that only exists. <laughs> all right. Um, we need to wrap up because we are way overboard on our time. And so everybody gets one more thought. This is the lightning gonna, round. It's the lightning round. Okay. All right. And Alex. My stars without number campaign. You know, I I started at I was planning that with a specific tone in mind, and it went a whole other direction and ultimately ended up with GM burnout. Mark, go ahead. So the the thought came back around. Thought trains here. Creating. Um, player investment in the game. And so uh, you have a gaming group, let's say it's the four of us, right? And we're trying to do this around our lives. Now our lives allow us to be able to game a whopping once a month if we really do well. And in that once a month, one of us won't be there. So how do you plan out a game around players who may or may not be there and or cause the investment of the players in that game where they will be there at that time? Let me say what I one last lightning round thought was. Well, I haven't had my lightning round thought. And actually, who's the moderator here? Is it you? It's me. Then shouldn't I do my closing thought and then you do yours? Wrong. The okay, correct answer you... is. No, go for it, Nathan. I didn't have one. Oh. Me neither. <laughs> you stole mine. I was going to make I, Actually, I did, I did have one. I was just thought you were going to go first, and then I was going to sum it all up. So uh, mine basically going back about 10 or 15 minutes has to do with, uh, yeah, because our, our subject today is we're talking about tone. Um, and Brought we've been to us by the letter that. T for tone. T for tone. So, yeah, we're talking about players recently here in the last 10 minutes. Um, make sure that your players are all on board with what the tone is. The the game we're planning, that Ryan's been planning here recently is a cyberpunk. It's probably going to be kind of dark. I'm cool with that, but take into account who your players are. Um, you know, we're all adults in our 40s, um, and so we might be able to go a little bit darker than maybe some other people, or maybe the teenagers will go way darker than we want them to, and that will make us uncomfortable. I mean, you know, things can go in a lot of different weird and crazy directions. And without going into anything about the characters I'm planning on playing in the upcoming game, um, Ryan had sent me some questions. I don't know if he did this for the rest of you. And it's like, okay, would you do this? All right, such and such asked you to do this. Will you go that far? Will you go that far? Will you go that far? I didn't go that far. I didn't go that far. And and at a certain point, I said, no, I won't do that. Um, at, at least not pre-game. In the game, maybe I would, depending on what the circumstances are. But pre-game, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna set a line, and I won't cross. I have not yet crossed that line. Um, and then also be pretty well aware. I mean, do any of the people, if you're gonna be trying to push kind of a dark game, or really any game, does anybody at your table or anybody? and the household of the people that might be listening or walking by in the background have kind of any, I mean, I don't want to use the word trigger because of all the political connotations, but basically things they're going to be on, they will be uncomfortable with. Um, 
And if so, maybe leave those things out. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. um, and in my house, there, there are some small children and on a pretty regular basis, if there's a game going on, you know, about once every hour or two, they come up and kind of interrupt for about five to 10 minutes and decide they're going to play and then get bored and leave. And, uh, you know, if there's some dark, crazy stuff going on, when that happens, how are we going to deal with it? I'm not saying that the dark, crazy stuff can't happen. Just do we have a contingency plan? Right. Um, and the contingency plan might just be Nathan wears headphones when that game is going on. And Let, let's, let's, uh, let's just say this real quick. So the game, it will be dark, but we are not traditionally super dark when we role play because we tend to lighten it up. So I I expect you guys to not go as dark as it could go, but I fight against some some very, very dark tendencies down in here. Um, And in your, in your sunken living room. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in the upstairs. Ashy tar pit. He calls his soul. Yeah. I'm I'm in the upstairs living room right now, but. So you're not in the dark spot yet. No, 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 I'm not. Alex, what's your lightning round thought? You already had his. I no, had his was, no, yours had nothing to do with this topic. Oh, it totally did. It was going to be the. It was going to be a whole a whole end part of this topic. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that that sounds good. You know, make sure everybody's on board with the tone. Um, kind of have an idea. Mark, what's that? Mark. Yes, I'm. I'm repeating other people's ideas because they're good and worth repeating. <laughs> oh God, that's Ryan, a bad it idea. Is, it is your turn for the lightning round. You're stalling because you have nothing. I just told you mine. You just repeated what I said. No, I didn't. No, actually, you repeated, you repeated what repeated I said. What Alex said, which was repeating what I said, <laughs> which makes. And on that note, I'm Ryan. I'm Nathan. I'm Alex. And Marcus Frozen again. Oh. <laughs> We're going to be talking about unicorns and how to include them in your uh, in your sci- your hard sci-fi games. So it's a thing to look forward to. Until then, have a good uh, however long it is. This has been a Geezers of the Game production. If you'd like to support us, please find us on Patreon or buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash geezers.